This is a shock podcast. Hi, this is the I'm Not Crazy, I'm in Therapy podcast. I'm your host, Fairy from Sitting in the Nude, and I'm Not Crazy, I'm in Therapy. Trigger warning for those who are listening, there are brief mentions of self-harm, substance abuse and suicide in this particular episode, however mentions are not in detail. So I have Dr. Chua, our resident therapist from Relate Malaysia and I have Nisa here today and she is she has bipolar type 2 correct. disorder, correct? correct. Um, hi guys, how are you today? Good. Good. I'm yeah. yeah. feeling great. Yeah. I'm good too, by the way. You didn't ask. but <laughs> <laughs> um, So you shared with us, Nisa, which is five crazy worst ways to accepting your mental health diagnosis. And I really want to enjoy this episode with you because Sayapun, <laughs> I have, I've got ADHD, lah, I've got anxiety, lah, who, else, who knows what else I have. And you also declare that you have bipolar type 2 disorder. And I think it will be fun to think of the crazy worst ways to accepting your mental to help diagnosis uh, for people who you know find it difficult to accept what they've been diagnosed with and I'm really happy that you shared it with us oh thank you yeah gladly yeah so let me start with number one just get straight into it so just define yourself by your label because that's all you are from now on mm, 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 mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get that like that's infuriating right? <laughs> even when is, you say that I even relate to that oh how how did you feel when you wrote that I want to say that how did you feel instead of why you wrote that it was I don't like labels to begin with yes so I mean I mean diagnosis is good because it helps you to understand yeah but to be to be to be pigeonhole into that you know <laughs> and I said feel because I can see the feels yeah. coming out of it I'm not happy about that <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, that's uh, yeah infuriating yeah is and an understatement I can <laughs> if it makes you feel better like I definitely feel the same way when I'm diagnosed and recently so before previously I was told that I had ADHD and then after that I was told no you don't have it and then I said I think I do have it now at, uh, now that I'm older and I'm managing more things I feel like I do get distracted quite a bit and I was wondering it can't just be social media right I mean there must be something else to it I'm also facing certain issues and symptoms so I got myself assessed again and um, I was told, yeah, you do have it because there was some because it was compared with my childhood and now. Mm-hmm. So then they said, yeah, you, you definitely do have it. I was like, okay, great. And then when I heard it, like, because I really wanted the diagnosis, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted yeah. to understand how I'm functioning and work better of it, which I, I feel better about it now. But at the time when I heard it again, I was like, oh, good God, like I'm tired of this. Also, I felt like okay, like I, f- you know, you feel a bit limited when yes. you're put in a box a bit. Yeah, is that how you feel as well when you first heard? Uh, no, because, okay, when when I first got my diagnosis, I was about 21, 22, mm. college time, you know, and, and all those, while well, growing up to that point, I couldn't understand what was going on with me because I'll be having like depression for about two months. Oh, wow. Uh, even, and then suddenly I would wake up some days, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do this, yeah, you know, and then like... <laughs> down and I just 
yeah. didn't understand and then all I had like intense emotions and people would say basically you're not normal you're not normal and I really wanted to know what was going on because I was cutting myself feelings was were really intense and mm. so when I got that diagnosis I was like oh so I'm not the only one who has it right so meaning there is this thing so there was some form of relief like there was some form it, yeah. of relief yeah. definitely so I, I didn't feel so alone because psychiatrists said oh you know common in women and stuff like that I was like oh, oh okay makes sense yeah Dr. Chua how do you normally reassure a patient when they are receiving their diagnosis well I, I do think your, your experience of relief is very common you mm-hmm. know because then it, it somehow it takes away like I'm not just crazy right yeah. there's some, some way to understanding mm-hmm. this it's like a framework mm-hmm. so I'm I, Actually, it's very curious then, then the, the current reaction, you know, yeah. from the initial point mm-hmm. of receiving it, where you said, okay, that's maybe a relief and this yeah. makes sense. Um, bipolar 2 or bipolar 1, um, generally depression and anxiety are mm-hmm. more common among women, but bipolar disorders are quite uh, this gender parity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so men and women are both um, the pr- prevalence among men and women are uh, mm-hmm. comparable. Um, <laughs> that was like, I was, I'm 38 this year, so that was like ages yeah. ago. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> new studies. Yeah. So, so cut, then cut, cut. What, what happened? You know, I guess then the question is what happened from that point of relief to now that cringe, you know, that feeling like you got pigeonholed? Yeah. I guess because then I feel like I'm reduced to just that. People say, Allah, Nisa you know bipolar right you know so i'm more than bipolar mm-hmm. yeah yes i do have a diagnosis mm-hmm. yeah and i guess i don't like that label so much because to at first yes there was this sense of relief and then at that point after that whenever anything happens i didn't want to take responsibility accountability for whatever i've done wrong or when i screw things up yeah you know me bipolar you know you know mm, yes and I didn't like that part of me either. Mm-hmm. So basically, I pigeonhole myself as well. I label myself. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. that. And of course, friends and acquaintances, they'd be like, oh, Nisa Gila. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the stigma. The, the stigma, stigma was the there as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, the, I mean, what you're referring to as well, where you start to see yourself in a certain way, is is a, a, actually also self-stigma, right? Yes, Because you said is. like, well, how else could I have done differently? You're yeah. Of course, I would have behaved that way because I I have this label. So it's sort of really pervasive that, you know, not only do people see us one way, we start mm. to see ourselves the yeah. same way, um, yeah. which really, you know, affects your self-esteem, affects your functioning, affects, you oh, know, yes. your relationships. Yes, yes, definitely. For me, so I was told that I had... ADHD and I and then I told was told that I had anxiety and I can completely relate to you because I think in my relationships before I was like yeah yeah I mean I'm anxiety like what I have anxiety what can I do Mm. I think because I think with therapy at the time I was always analyzing okay I've got this it's because of this it's got this because of this and I didn't feel like I was moving out of that story I kept placing myself in that story Mm. like oh this is me this is all there is there is no way out you better deal with it (laughs) you better deal with who I am and what I do and my behavior you better learn it and like I put it on that person because I was already frustrated with myself because I felt like there's no way out of already because every time I do something it was like oh it's linked to that it's linked to this it's linked to that symptom that's why Mm, you think that way and I'm like okay then how do I even trust myself 
So I want to link back to the second, which is a very good one that you shared, the second crazy worst way, which is compare yourself to neurotypical brains and make yourself feel worse. And whew, I really <laughs> relate to that because sometimes I get so distracted or, and, and whatnot. And then like people halfway say that you're not you're not here, are you? And I'm like, I am, I am. And I try to keep up with what they're saying. And I do. And, and there are a lot of things that I do love about myself having ADHD. I'm able to think divergently. I can think of this and that, connect everything, connect the dots and maybe see things differently from other mm-hmm. people. So I yeah. try to remember that. I try to remind myself of all the good things. But what about you, Nisa? How do, does that did that happen a lot? Did you compare yourself to other neurotypical brains? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Especially when I went to see. <sighs> so I, I didn't like the psychiatrist. <laughs> share, share all. <laughs> So I guess I guess finding the right therapist, psychiatrist, counselor, psychologist, you know, and to gel with that person is also another thing that's really important in this. Yeah. So there's this one that I really didn't like. I think he was trying to get me to go on Sirocco. What's that? Uh, it's a type of medication. Right. Um, usually the first one they, you know, they prescribe if you were to have bipolar or something like that. That was mm-hmm. what he explained to me. I was like, um, can we try something else? Mm-hmm. And then he was trying to explain to me you know you're not like a normal person you have your ups you have your downs you have your ups it has to be here here this is normal I'm like can you Mm. define normal to me because to me my ups and downs are normal these are normal yeah and that makes me mad like what is normal yeah so I was really frustrated because I can't imagine what that is so I guess that's that's the thing that pisses me off still Mm. what is normal Mm. you know the, the the word neurotypical, I think, is a little bit misleading because, you know, studies have shown that 80% of the population will have a diagnosable mental illness in their lifetime. Yeah. You know, so it's actually Ooh, so oh yes. common. Yes, so nice. yes. You know, so, so I, I think, I I mean, think you generally people use neurotypical for neurodevelopmental disorders like maybe mm. autism, ah. but I'm also not so sure how helpful it is mm. um, all the time to, to, again, you know, we, we ourselves can start to create categories mm. that separate us from other people yeah. Yeah. you know so we are atypical and they're typical and you know it kind of just sets up barriers and and mm. rather than um, learning to see past which is what you guys are, are referring to you know mm. l- learning yeah. to see past the differences and try to find a, a point of connection right a point of what's our common shared humanity you mm. know here we are yes you've got your ups and downs and those ups and downs are often more extreme yes right and that's where you're here seeking help right? yes. and it makes life more difficult for you but you're you're not a weird species right? no, you still not. have accepted that that's right. <laughs> I mean, special we're, weird we're all odd in our own ways but you know you're not something that you want to be under the microscope you don't mm. want to be seen as like some something to be cast out of society right mm. you're yeah. the abnormal one mm. yeah. and so I think I think probably it sounds like that's what the consequence of what the guy was saying yes. to you it kind of made you feel so odd yeah. so different so yeah. wrong <laughs> right, because you didn't ask yeah. for this uh, illness. No, but now yeah. he, he made you feel so wrong about mm. it. You know, something wrong with you. Yeah, and, that, and that's w- true. I mean, I've already felt wrong all of my life. I mean, yes, I'm um, from mixed parentage. I don't belong in uh, one category of race or ethnicity, and then now I have this thing. <laughs> like, ooh, okay. <laughs> how am I supposed to make more friends? Right. Yeah. <laughs> how How would you have liked him to explain it? I mean, now after so many years, you know, what do you think? would have been more helpful 
It's a good question. What was really helpful for me was the counsellors or the therapists that helped me afterwards to accept that this is it. It doesn't matter how people define normal or neurotypical or whatever. So this is where you are at this moment. So maybe you don't have to see yourself as this thing that you don't like so much, that label, diagnosis, whatever you call, but handle yourself at that moment and see what you need. Right. So instead of you telling me I'm not normal, just say, it's okay, you know, maybe like you explained just now, 80% of the population, you know, might be diagnosed with something. So this is quite common everywhere. So, yeah. But we can handle this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would have been lovely. I would have taken this, the medication like, hoo-hoo, you know. Yes. Yeah. But instead... Right. And it's such an important point of the togetherness, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes. To, to have that sense of, you know, where, where you belong. Yeah. Yeah. To, to feel like you you are accepted. Yeah. It's okay to be different or whatever you are at that point of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and th- that's why there's so many support groups and forums oh, yes. talking about all this stuff yeah. because people don't want to feel alienated by their diagnosis. And it's nice that you said that because I do remember when my therapist did tell me like, oh, you've got ADHD or you've got anxiety. They said, but don't worry, a lot of people have it and, you know, you're not the only one. And then I'm like, okay, great. But obviously I didn't take it in so much at the time, <laughs> but mm. it was helpful. And it says that, you know, people's, um, you know, attention span is getting worse over the years and you did mention that you've been on social media more so maybe that might be affecting a bit more because I was more on it recently due to Mm. work and stuff and then I said okay but so she she reassured me that it's not the end of the world and stop and like you know it's not you're not defined by this particular diagnosis or label so yeah I like that you that you shared that because it does remind me that that she did reassure me so that's good luck (laughs) yeah yeah We'll move on to the third crazy worst way to accepting your mental health diagnosis that you wrote, Nisa, was expect yourself to make progress overnight. Ah, yeah, but like this yeah. is something that we will... Uh, we want fast. Yes. Fast, fast results. Fast results, fast treatment, fast everything. Like as if we are chasing for something. I mean, but then again, I guess that's how most of us been conditioned that we are chasing for time. Yeah. But no, no, I tried that many, many times. <laughs> it's, it got more frustrating. It didn't work. Yeah. So being patient with the progress and trusting yourself in the process is really, really important, I would say. Yeah. And it, it, it's long. I mean, I was 21 when I got diagnosed. Uh, therapy, about seven to eight years now. Wow. Still in therapy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. If I were to look back, I feel like I'm growing into somebody who's, you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm accepting myself a lot better. It's like you look back at all your progress oh, over yeah. the seven to eight years, which uh, is amazing. Yeah. So how do you feel now? Do you feel that, because um, you said expect yourself to make progress overnight which mm. obviously that didn't happen but no. how do you feel now i'm very proud of myself mm. where i am right now accepting who i am for what i am mm. at this point of time and i always feel like now it's okay there's always room to progress and life is a, you know a continuous um learning process mm. so yeah it's all good yeah i have i'm very proud of myself i would say yes i am proud of myself <laughs> well done nisa i mean uh, no more <laughs> psychosis no more suicidal ideations mm. no more self-harming amazing so no more substance abuse 
Mm. I'm very proud of myself, yeah. Yeah. Well, because yeah. that's what the label can't capture, right? You're, yeah. you're a person who's growth-oriented, oh, who's growing yes. and changing and expanding. Yeah. You know, and, and just saying bipolar, too, doesn't capture those important facets of yourself. No. Right? Yeah. Yeah. For for everyone at home listening, can we know a bit more about bipolar type 2? What are the exact symptoms? Uh, oh, I have mania, but it's not like crazy mania. It's always like a couple of times in a year. Back then it was so bad. Um, I had psychosis as well, but I don't have it anymore, I guess. Depression, long depression. Uh, yeah. Actually, if you had psychosis, you should have been given bipolar 1. Don't <laughs> yeah, mm. but it's actually, uh, it's because it's, it's, it's severe enough that it's bipolar 1. Mm. So generally with bipolar 2, it's not that it's, uh, most people with bipolar disorders, they spend uh, most of the time in depression. Yes. And then once in a while, they have this sort of very elevated mood. Mm. Their, their thoughts are racing, you know. Um, I clear out my bank accounts right. a few times. Yeah, you're going to take really impulsive, <laughs> I yeah, impulsive risky decisions, mm. you know. You're very, but these are goal-oriented things. You know, you're not just yeah. doing random stuff. No. You're like, I'm going to achieve something, right? right? Yeah. But, and, and you think, I can do it. There's a sense of really, um, yeah. you know, grandiosity or like, I'm I'm great, you know. And, and so for some people then, uh, you, you know, for bipolar, uh, individuals with bipolar 1, and uh, these these uh, symptoms can also be accompanied with delusions or hallucinations. So they can get mm. so severe that you have to be hospitalized, yeah. right? Yeah. Because you are wow. no longer safe to yourself and to, to others. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, the crash can come. So okay. some people have these uh, manic episodes or hypomania. So that's a shorter episode, yeah. um, but also equally can be quite devastating to your life. Yeah. And they can cycle through quite quickly. Mm. But more often than yeah. not, people spend a lot of time in depression. Yeah, so it's not a, it's not a, it's not a fun well, disorder. Not fun, no, no, no. Because fun. you wake, you know, you come to yourself and you go, "What did I just do?" Yeah, uh, I lost a few weeks of yeah in in a year of not knowing what happened. Mm, because <laughs> I heard about this. I have a, a friend, and he like completely doesn't remember what happened. Had a car crash and can't even recall what happened. Yep. And I, I I call him and he says. Oh yeah, I don't know. I just found that, and I didn't have my phone for a while, and I'm in the hospital. I'm like, wow. Yeah. So yeah. it's quite. I almost got hit by a truck. Oh god. Trying to cross the highway. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and so you know, great, um, important part of treatment is medication. Yeah. But medication just stabilizes the stabilizes mood. Stabilizes it. As you're saying, yeah. you know, it's not giving you that growth, the way no. to kind of see yourself, yeah. the way to be proud of yourself. Medication doesn't mm. handle that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The fourth crazy worst way to accepting your mental health diagnosis is you wrote, don't learn the strategies on how to cope with your mental health diagnosis. And yeah, exactly. It is one of the crazy worst ways because if you don't learn your strategies, it's very, very difficult. And just what Dr. Chua said was it's not just medication. You also need to learn how to progress through strategies. Mm -hmm. So what strategies did you learn? And, you know, how, how did you make your way through all of that? It took me a very long time to actually learn all those strategies mm. with therapy. I guess therapy was, talk therapy was one of them. Seeking the right counsellor. Talk or, therapy. Yeah, right. psychologist. That's my way of doing it. And from there, I incorporated, uh, because I like sports and stuff like that, so I incorporated lots of like all this um, yoga, pilates, um, a lot of mindfulness, wall climbing sometimes. So I, I make sure I have all these other things that I like to do at the same time instead of turning back to substances and things mm. like that. 
and um, of course common things journaling and having a good support system and things like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and I guess being in a, in a nurturing community will help that's also another strategy you, I look for those people yes. with the same definitely you know, struggling the same thing so that we can also help and support each other about mental health yeah diagnosis and, and labels I don't know <laughs> so you really learn this throughout with therapy and oh yeah over the past yeah. few years and also recently? you look up things you know on the internet and stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah. So it's still ongoing yeah that's good and really happy that you've really progressed that's that's spot on um one of the really important things is is maintaining a um, regular schedule oh yeah right because what happens with uh in mania is the decreased need of sleep mm. right you're so high energy but you're only maybe sleeping three hours uh mm. A, yeah. a night and so you know your circadian rhythm all of us have it you know that rhythm internal clock you know needs to be regular and that's actually going to be preventive for future manic episodes mm-hmm. so one of the uh, sort of great strategies for individuals with bipolar disorder is you know you've got your maintain your internal body clock Keep it regular, yes. uh, scheduled, but also um, like what you pointed out, Nisa, it's the social relationships. Mm. So you want to schedule, and I think I've said this before on this podcast, schedule the uh, negative interactions or the difficult interactions in yes. the daytime yeah. so it doesn't interfere with sleep. <laughs> yeah. You know, schedule, you know, always have consistent, positive uh, interactions when you first wake up. And this, if you have the interactions with the same people, it actually helps with your circadian rhythm. Them. Yes, it keeps you regular because you you learn expectations. That's good for you know individuals with that sort of unstable mood uh, disorders. Um, and then for nighttime, you know, don't schedule difficult interactions at night because you're going to be ruminating. It's gonna you're oh, not gonna yes. you're not gonna be able to sleep. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you're, you're going to protect your time that way. You're going to protect yourself by making sure your body clock is working well. Yeah, I think I love this one a lot because strategies are so important and people tend to maybe shy away and get afraid to get medicated and learn more. And it's not just medication, guys. It's also, you know, learning strategies. And strategies are really important because you could be taking medication and you still feel the same, but you're not understanding what you're going through. You're not understanding the progress you need to make, which comes with therapy. So I hope people that are listening that you don't have to be afraid to learn these strategies. And yeah, there's plenty online, hopefully good authoritative sources that you find. Yes. You know, yeah. and if I could share as well with um, ADHD and anxiety, um, definitely the support is really important. Nisa, like you're actually one of like the supportive people in my life, which is really great. Oh, it really you. makes a big, big difference to have people that are supportive. Oh, and I have like an aunt, shout out to my aunt, where I always call all the time to my aunts. And I just, they're the supportive people that understand your mental health diagnosis and don't judge you for that as oh, well. Yeah. It's also very important to have that trusted group of friends and and other strategies are also, um, yeah, I think the body clock thing is very, very relevant mm-hmm. <laughs> because for me, um, with ADHD, I do get bored a lot. So I do I do love routines, though, which I know, Nisa, you don't. You don't no, like routines, but I love routines. routines. And But I do get bored of my routines after a while. So I'll just throw, totally throw it off <laughs> after like a week or two. I'm like, I'm done. I'm bored. I want to go drinking. I want to just go crazy like this whole weekend. And I'm very impulsive like that because I'm tired of keeping the schedule. 
And I just want to add, I'm not on medication. So it is difficult for me to focus, but I'm quite regimented. So I'm able to do a lot of things, but I do get tired. And that's when I get totally thrown off and do something impulsive. But again, yes, the strategies are what has kept me afloat for a long time as well. So thank you for sharing that. Linking back to the very last one, which is number five, be embarrassed by your label and share it with unsupportive people. And yeah, I think this that is a very... what happened, actually. Oh. Yeah, because I thought, I thought people might be a bit more understanding of what I was going through as well. But instead, they used that against me, which mm. was yeah. devastating. So basically, I just, I just don't know who to trust. Yeah. And then when people start walking and you know sometimes I feel like they're calling me crazy or say ah, this is the girl ah, this is the girl ah, you know and yeah that that's like the worst way you could actually do or the worst thing that you can actually do to yeah. yourself I mean I learned that the hard way I thought friends might want to help but those aren't friends really yeah yeah, yeah. so hence why I was embarrassed as well because the stigma from the society and also you know I felt that stigma as well so I guess like I said having this circle of friends who are very nurturing and supportive is really important yeah in order for you to be able to accept yourself yeah thanks for sharing that I did experience that as well um, in the past I suppose with someone who wasn't didn't really understand the diagnosis and maybe um, had his own issues as well and I think yeah I ended up feeling more embarrassed by by what I had and I said and mm. always like um, using that as a weapon whatever that I share you it back against me and then I felt like yeah okay that's me it's always me there's always something wrong with me mm-hmm. I mean until now a lot of the time I do feel like when I go to maybe not such a good dark place I do feel like oh yeah it's me it's my fault I'm like this like I don't know myself other than this you know I feel like I'm yeah I'm this at the end of the day because I can't trust myself this is who I am and then I have to come back and like you know do all the self-soothing techniques talk to people that are supportive and not feel embarrassed because mm-hmm. sometimes people just don't understand Understand, and I'm happy that we're talking about this today. Self-disclosure is can be very empowering, yes. you know. But then what you've done is you've learned that self-disclosure has to be selective. Correct. Not everyone would understand and not everyone would react the way um, that you want them to or need them to. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. But, you know, if you're willing to take that, maybe, why not? You know, yeah. but there's really no pressure. And I think there's a difference between feeling embarrassed and ashamed of, um, you know, your health condition uh, versus wisely mm. choosing who to disclose it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the support of others that you've mentioned, I think what, what stood out to me were that these supportive others saw you as more than just a label. Like, they remembered the different aspects of you you know so even at times of uh, depression or times of mania or times of disorganized behaviors they remembered who you were at your core you know that this was only temporary but there was there was someone internally that was loving that was caring that you know um, was growth oriented and and that kept you grounded you know the view of you when you lose yourself when other people can maintain that view of you can really be an anchor yeah Yeah. I I really want to share um, my, my favorite quote by a uh, psychologist that I, I really admire. He was a psychiatrist. In 1947, he wrote, 
in most general terms, we are all much more simply human than otherwise. Yeah. Be we happy and successful, contented and detached, miserable and mentally disordered, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so Harry Sullivan really emphasized that we have this shared experience, we have this shared humanity, and that so we are so much more alike than not. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what binds us together. Yes, yeah. yeah. It's really, I love that because I think there are times when people misunderstand the diagnosis or they don't, because some people, bless them, they don't feel these certain symptoms and everything. And sometimes it's even met where, where people say with words like, oh, but that person's so smart. I don't understand how that person can be depressed. I, and that's that person is a, a very known public figure. How can this person be depressed? That person's so smart and intellectual. It doesn't make sense. And I'm when I hear that, I'm like, wow, like that does not define anything. And a lot of people, then, then people get embarrassed by sharing oh, yeah. um, their diagnosis, by hearing stuff from people who just don't understand. So it's really important to share with people that who understand. And yeah, and, and as you said, Dr. Trod, that there is familiarity with all these things. All, it all links together at the end of the day. We all have a little bit of something, but it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us. It's It doesn't define you. It doesn't define you. It's mm-hmm. a link. We're still a linked community somehow. Yeah. And through all our flaws and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, I think that's why these conversations are very important mm-hmm. because of the lack of conversations is, you know, I, I don't blame people for their misunderstandings. Yes. Right? Nobody talked to them about it. Mm-hmm. I think this is still a relatively new field. I mean, mm-hmm. it's only, you know, Freud came about late 1800s. So it's, it's only 100. Freud's too late. Yeah. yeah. Plus years old. And, you know, it's it's newer than, let's say, physical illnesses, you know, than the uh, physical medicine. Yeah. Um, and so we're learning, we're discovering. There's a lot about the brain we don't understand. There's a lot about human emotions we were still um, figuring out. Yeah. yeah. Figuring yeah. out and so we need to talk about it more and, and, and educate people about it more and I think what yeah. you guys are doing today is a very powerful aspect because it says I'm just like you guys I have these ups and downs I feel hurt I get upset I get angry I mean these are you know this is not the illness this is just humanity mm-hmm. yeah I, I totally agree and I believe that advocacy should you know should be done by everyone anyone not just one person or one particular you know, sometimes people say oh the government should do something about it but I believe that we as a community members of society we can all advocate for it as well yes yeah thank you I love that I think that's a lovely closing don't you think oh Um, thank you thanks Nisa for sharing your five crazy worst ways to accepting your mental health diagnosis it's really I really hope for everyone listening that yeah it's 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 hard sometimes when you hear what your mental health diagnosis is but you're not just defined by that there's more to you. Thank you for listening to the I'm Not Crazy, I'm in Therapy podcast. Do follow at Sitting in the Nude for my community platform where we talk about all things vulnerable and do follow Dr. Chua's organization at Relate Malaysia for your mental health care. <laughs>